This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Experts at the annual meeting of the Canadian Medical Association in Quebec City say the medical profession must accept responsibility for the opioid crisis and be involved in the effort to solve it. But some doctors feel that there is an entire generation of physicians who've come to view opioids as go-to drugs for pain management and believe that the medical community was misled by drug makers in the 1990s about their potential harm. Dr. Norm Buckley is a pain specialist at the Michael G. DeGroote National Pain Center at McMaster University in Hamilton, and he joins us on the line. Dr. Welcome. Uh, Good day. Thanks for the invitation, Jane. So for clarification, what are opioids? Well, opioids are a class of drugs often also referred to as narcotics, Um, the classic being morphine, others being Demerol or Dilaudid, and oxycodone, hydrocodone, codeine, medications like that that have a combination of effects, uh, prominently being... Uh, pain relief for many people, but also uh, side effects of sedation and respiratory depression, sometimes nausea, uh, and and some other metabolic effects that seem to come into play over the long term, like reduced testosterone production and maybe accelerated osteoporosis. And most of them, if not all, can be addictive, yes? Um, Yes. Well, certainly... You know, addiction is an issue with with many medications, and opioids are pretty common uh, uh, drugs amongst people who are addicted to drugs, yes. When did opioids uh, first become widely used in Canada? That's a good question. I mean, in the introduction, you described it as a 20-year phenomenon. I'd say that's that's probably pretty fair. When I started doing chronic pain clinics in the late 80s, early 90s, it was very uncommon to find people prescribed much more than a Tylenol 2 or a 3, even in... Uh, even in cancer patients, palliative care patients. And then over time, I would say over the next 10 to 15 years, so into the 90s, early 2000s, there was a growing uh, use of opioids. And at the same time, I mean, this is not random use. I mean, one of the big problems is that we have a very large number of people in, in Canada, as the rest of the world, who suffer from pain and persistent pain. Um, you know, maybe 15, 20% of the population, we have a relatively small number of things we can do to treat them. So it was, you know, opioids seem to have a lot of face value as analgesics. And so they became more and more commonly prescribed. And then what happened is, is a bit of what you see now is that they became so commonly prescribed that the effect of that that the side effect the bad effects or the propensity to be addicted started to become an issue and you started to see people dying from prescription medications which of course is entirely counter to our uh, our goals as physicians which is to try to 
you know, relieve pain where it occurs, but also not harm people more than they're already being harmed. Would it be fair to say that the pharmaceutical industry ended up having a stranglehold, so to speak, over the Canadian Medical Association and the doctors within it? If you're dealing with 15 to 20 percent of patients who need that chronic pain medication, why did it become so much more widely used? Well, in fact, if, if you look at the numbers, um, it, it's actually... There are a lot of prescriptions being written, but when you when you get down to the numbers, it's pretty close to 20% of the population is getting prescriptions. I've just been looking at the most recent uh, prescribing report from the Ontario Drug Research Network, and although we have a very large number of prescriptions being written to a large number of patients, uh, it's about what one would predict in terms of if you're looking at 20% of the population has chronic pain. Okay, I thought we were talking about just people with pain, that 15 to 20% of people with pain would require opioids to relieve it. No, no, 50% of, 15 to, to 20%, 20% of the entire population okay. has chronic pain. So, and and the the big problem, I mean, it's interesting because we've established a chronic pain research network in Canada under the auspices of CIHR, and, and one of the underlying factors that's at play here is that we don't understand pain particularly well, uh, and when we do understand it, we don't have systems in place to deliver optimal care in, in much of the country. Uh, and even the provinces that have expanded their services to provide good health care, like Ontario, for example, and Quebec, uh, don't have the capacity to deliver that care to the entire population that needs them. Uh, you were spoken to, or at least the Canadian Medical Association was spoken to this week about concerns around opioids and how doctors have to get control back over them. Uh, with that in mind, uh, there are new guidelines for opioid therapy and chronic non-cancer pain on the Canadian Medical Association website. What, so what has changed within those guidelines? So there, there's a couple of things that changed. Um, so we we housed the original 2010 guidelines here at McMaster. They were developed by the Federation of Medical Regulatory Authorities of Canada, so the colleges of physicians of the entire country developed those guidelines, and we housed them here, and then uh, the Health Canada supported the revision of the guidelines. And the thing that changed, well, there's several things that changed. One of the things is that it became apparent that we needed to make a very clear statement at the outset that opioids are not the first choice for a patient with chronic pain, that you should use non-opioid treatments. Um, and one of the other things that we know is that multidisciplinary treatment, treatment that incorporates uh, both cognitive behavioral therapy, physical therapies, as well as pharmacotherapy and maybe interventions, that's optimal treatment. The problem is that, that, as I said, that's not available in much of Canada, but we have made the statement that that is optimal treatment. One of the other things we realized is that patients who are on increasing doses of opioid analgesics as they as they crest over say around 90 milligrams per day morphine equivalents there's a there's a tendency amongst those patients to start to have increasing incidence of death mm -hmm. um, and so 
one of the things we've said is that in new patients starting on opioids, we should try to limit the maximum dose to 90 milligrams, although there are going to be some patients that need more than that. But we should also try to avoid going to very high doses because there are a number of problems that come into play when that happens. Um, now, with respect to the very high-dose patients who've been on these doses for sometimes for many years, we should make an attempt to try to wean them down to a lower dose. We shouldn't take that necessarily as a steady state, but we've also recognized, and it's a very clear statement in the guideline, that you won't necessarily be able to do that for everyone. Some people, have this has become part of their lives. This has become part of their physiology. And unless we come up with a much different treatment for their chronic pain problem, you may not be able to wean them down to lower doses. So all you can do there is watch carefully, watch out for you know, changes in their uh, their health that would suggest that the opioids have become more of a problem than a benefit to them. And so people are now trying, physicians are now trying to taper patients down, but there is caution to that. Just one final question for you. We're speaking with Dr. Norm Buckley, pain specialist at McMaster University at the Michael G. DeGroote National Pain Center. What kinds of questions, because you want to have patients feeling empowered, what Mm -hmm. kinds of questions should you be asking your doctor if you're living what you feel with uh, is chronic pain? Um, I think the kind of questions that patients need to ask their physicians are, you know, do I have an identifiable condition and what is the optimal treatment for that condition? If I have an arthritis, for example, am I on the best treatment for that arthritis? And if the pain itself is a problem, then what are my options for treatment? Are there injections? Are there non-opioid painkillers? Or do I need to have an opioid? And if I need to have an opioid, do I have any conditions that put me at risk for having um, bad results with the opioids. For example, do I have sleep apnea? Am I am I obese and I have sleep apnea and I snore and therefore being on an opioid may put me at risk for sudden death? Or do I have, uh, you know, do I have a history of addiction? Do I have uh, mood disorders that also need to be managed before I could safely take uh, opioid analgesics, for example? Great advice and uh, really informative segment. Thank you for your time, Doctor. Oh, well, thank you for the questions. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.